the silver chair. Uh, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. Advent is the season where we're invited to prepare our hearts, to consider the state of our hearts, to reflect on that which it is that we are most longing for in life, counting down to in life, looking forward to in life. What's our great anticipation? Advent's an invitation to consider those things. I've got a couple of boys in my house that are counting down to the 25th. When new golf balls arrive and tees will arrive and golf clubs and that's the thing that they're longing for and hoping for and looking forward to in life. And it's like, no, that is not the point of the season. We are counting down to the coming of Christ. We talk of, um, we talk of peace, no, hope, peace, joy and love uh, in the, can- the candles of Advent, recognizing that that is which we should be longing for and counting down to in life. Uh, the correct answer, of course, is hope, peace, joy, love. That is found in Christ. That's what we're longing for and counting down to. And we know it's the right answer. Um, but it's not always necessarily true of our hearts. We, we know intellectually it's the right answer. I think even intuitively we, we realize that you know, the baubles of Christmas will never satisfy. There's something deeper that we're longing for. That we should be longing for. But if we're honest, I think we realize that some of us are counting down to golf balls and golf tees and a holiday as well. And really looking forward to that too. Advent is an encouragement to reflect on that. Uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, 7 and 8, and then verse 9. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This kind of picks up on Psalm 1, but it's this beautiful picture of uh, having a heart that's steadfast, that's fixed on God. But the very next verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, we know that which we should long for, but so often in life we long for all sorts of other things in all sorts of other directions. Uh, perhaps you could say like that. We know, I think we know explicitly, we know implicitly, I think we know consciously, I think we even know subconsciously that that which we should long for is love and hope and joy and peace and that that is only truly found in Christ. I think kind of we know that. And yet our hearts are so easily distracted. Uh, we're torn. The trinkets and baubles of life so easy become, easily become the primary pursuits of our lives. Watching McCallits and thinking the bobs rather than character and virtue. And I thought that was the perfect term. Watching McCallits and thinking the bobs. Uh, we know that we should be pursuing character and virtue. And we know that we're so easily distracted by watching McCallits and thinking the bobs. And when you put it like that, if we had scales, we'd all be able to say character and virtue is obviously way more important than watching McCallits and thinking mobs. And yet so often we're enamored by the watching McCallits and thinking mobs is the really thing that we're looking for and hoping for and longing for. And unfortunately, when you call it that and call it character and virtue, it's a little bit too stark. It's a little bit like when he puts it like that, there's not a lot of wiggle room. And it's like, but I'm speaking to me as well. Character and virtue I know is the right answer. Ooh, I like watching McCallips and thinking me bobs, and I wouldn't mind some new golf clubs. That'd be fantastic kind of thing. Advent's the invitation to reflect on all of that. Uh, We had a piece of paper. We had to run a self-assessment. Write down 25 goals, uh, 25 ambitions, 25 hopes, 25 things you're, you're, you're hoping to see happen. In the, the rest of your life, in the life that you had ahead of you, 25 things, write them down. So you scribble them all down on a piece of paper. Now I get another piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. And on one side, 
lists all of the, those 25 things which are to do with experiences or places or attaining or seeing or doing or achieving or possessing or buying or purchasing. Put those ones down on one side of the piece of paper. And then on the other side, on the other side of the line, put down the ones that are to do with becoming a certain kind of person. I think if you're anything like me, you'd be like, oh, there's not so many things on the becoming a certain kind of person list, but I was able to come up with 30 things on the other side that I'd love to see and do and achieve and attain and collect and, and make happen before my days are done kind of thing. And again, when you put it like that, it's like, oh, I know that the becoming a certain kind of person is really the thing that is more important, but we're so easily distracted. Uh, I think this became evident in the first lockdown in 2020 when suddenly we couldn't go here or do this or buy this or travel here or all these kinds of things. And I think the initial kind of impact of that for a lot of people was like, what am I living for if I can't travel? You know, what am I, what, what's life about if we can't go and do the things that we always do? It's like, and it's so easily we realize, man, so much of my life is the doing, attaining, possessing, seeing, these kind of things, and they're taken away. And I think last year, I think I had the Zoolander photo. Who am I? Up on the screen trying to figure out who I am in life when those things are kind of taken away. There was some existential angst in that. It reminded me, yeah, man, so much of what my life is about is the stuff uh, rather than becoming a certain kind of person. And yet, there's nothing to stop you always becoming a certain kind of person. The invitation of becoming a certain kind of person is that in all contexts and environments and situations... You can still chip away at becoming a certain kind of person, a Christ-like type person, obviously, is what I'm uh, talking about. So hopefully one of the fruits of this great disruption, this pandemic, is that we learn to focus more on becoming a certain kind of person. Uh, One that's holy, whole and wholesome, who lives as a non-anxious presence in the world, a person of hope and peace and joy and love, these things that we reflect about uh, in Advent. I think COVID dished up what Advent sets at the table every year. Questions to do with what are you longing for, hoping for, looking forward for, or looking forward to most in life. Some things or someone. What are you counting down to in life? A kiss under the mistletoe and a holiday or the Messiah and holiness? And as I said at the night, nothing wrong with a kiss under the mistletoe and a holiday. But the Messiah and holiness is the true call of that which we're to be pursuing in life but you know like I said the heart is desperately deceitful heads off to the left and the right and all sorts of other places so let's pick up on this this morning Uh, one of the themes throughout Lewis's the silver chair is that of the counterfeit right throughout the 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 book uh, the the silver chair and the chronicles of Narnia there's this theme of the counterfeit there's this theme of the imposter the shadow rather than the real thing moonlight rather than sunlight uh, living in the underworld rather than the overworld. It's, it's always the, it's the shadow of the real thing. It's a silver chair rather than a kingly golden throne. And nowhere does Lewis refer to it as a silver throne. He calls it what it is. It's a silver chair, not a kingly throne. It's, this, it's the counterfeit, artificial, secondary shadow. It's the, it's the, it's the, the, um, what do you call it when they make you like Versace, ba- uh, Louis Vuitton bags in like Thailand? They're not real. Whatever those are. Whatever those are. I couldn't, everyone talked at the same time. Counterfeit, fake, you know. And, you, and then you hold it up into light and it, and it says um, Louis Futons. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty. I can tell it's not the Louis Vuitton one. It says Louis Futons originally. Um, that, the, these themes weave themselves through the silver chair. 
um, the cavernous underworld. In the cavernous underworld, the, the wicked witch, she, evil witch, she promises Prince Rillian that they're going to gather their armies and they're going to break through to the surface and they're going to defeat the overworld. They're going to they're going to crush Narnia, slay all its heroes, and Rillian is going to become the king of Narnia um, if, if he just sticks with this wicked witch. The problem is, Rillian is already the heir to the throne of Narnia. His dad is Prince Ca- or King Caspian now. Is, is Caspian who is the king of Narnia? Rillian's going to be the king, um, but the the queen's uh, the wicked witch, the wicked queen's promising all of these things. There's echoes of the Sermon on the Mount there, where where the Satan says to you, "If you would but bow down, all these kingdoms of the earth will be you." And, and Christ resists that. Says, "No, no I'm not going to bow down. We worship God alone." But what the Satan is promising. Is that which is already Christ's anyway. All the kingdoms of the earth will be yours. All the kingdoms of the earth are yours. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And we see these themes kind of coming through in uh, the silver chair. Once every night, though, for an hour, there's this moment where, uh, as Lewis writes it, or as as Prince William tells the story, his mind is horribly changed. His mind is horribly changed. Uh, in fact, though, it's not horribly changed at all. There's this hour each night when he has g- great clarity. He actually sees things for how they are. He remembers that he's a son of Narnia. He remembers Aslan. He remembers his father, Prince Caspian. Uh, there's actually this hour of great clarity. But the Queen is convinced, really, in that it's an hour where his mind goes horribly crazy. And if he's not tied to the silver chair... Then he'll turn into a snake and start devouring people and all sorts of these kinds of things. Um, so, uh, Rillian, though, has, has, he's warned Eustace and Jill and Puddleglum that this hour of insanity is about to come upon him. And he'll say all sorts of things and they shouldn't listen to him. And he, he gets tied to the silver chair. And we're, we're picking up here. This is Rillian talking as, his, uh, as the clarity is coming. Ah, he groaned. Enchantments, enchantments. The heavy, tangled, cold, clammy web of evil magic, buried alive, dragged down under the earth, down into the sooty blackness. How many years has it been? Have I lived ten years or a thousand years in the pit? Maggot men all around me. Oh, have mercy. Let me out. Let me go back. Let me feel the wind and see the sky. There used to be a little pool. When you looked down into it, you could see all the trees growing upside down in the water, all green and below them, deep, very deep, the blue sky. He'd been speaking in a low voice. Now he looked up, fixed his eyes upon them and said in a clear voice, Quick, I am sane now. Every night I am sane. If only I could get out of this enchanted chair, it would last. I should be a man again, but every night they bind me, and so every night my chance is gone, but you are not my enemies, I am not your prisoner. Quick, cut the cords. Stand fast, stand steady, says Puddleglum to the two children. I beseech you to hear me, said Rillian, forcing himself to speak speak calmly. Have they told you that if I am released from the chair, I shall kill you and become a serpent? I see by your faces that they have. It is a lie. It is at this hour I am in my right mind, and it is the rest of the day that I am enchanted. You are not earthmen nor witches. Why should you be on their side? Of your courtesy, cut my bonds. Steady, 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 said the three travellers to one another. Oh, you have hearts of stone, said Prince William. Believe me, you look upon a wretch who has suffered almost more than any mortal heart can bear. What wrong have I done you that you should sit, uh, you should side with my enemies and keep me in such miseries? And the minutes are slipping past. 
Now you can save me. When this hour is past, I shall be witless again. The toy and lapdog. Nay, more like it. The pawn and, tool, uh, pawn and tool of the most devilish sorceress that ever planned the woe of men. And this night of all nights when she is away, you take from me the chance that may never come again. This is dreadful. I do wish we'd stayed away till it was over, said Jill. Steady, said Puddleglum. The prisoner's voice was now rising to a shriek. Let me go, I say. Give me my sword, my sword. Now the frenzy is beginning, said Eustace. I hope those knots are all right. Yes, said Puddleglum. He'd have twice his natural strength if he got free now. And I'm not clever with my sword. He'd get us both, I shouldn't wonder. And then Jill would be on her own. Wouldn't be able to tackle the snake. Because they think that he'll turn into a snake and devour them. Once and for all, said uh, Prince Rillian, I adjure you, set me free by all fears and all loves, by the bright skies of Overland, by the great lion, by Aslan himself. I charge you. Oh, cried the three travellers, as though they had been hurt. It's the sign, said Puddleglum. It's the words of the sign, said Eustace more cautiously. Oh, what are we to do, said Jill. Remember, there'd been four signs and the kids hadn't paid attention to the first three. The fourth sign was that when somebody asks them something in the name of Aslan, they need to respond. They need to do what is asked of them. And this is this first encounter where somebody's asked them something in the name of Aslan. As it turns out, they set Prince William free and he hacks the chair to pieces with a sword. And then last Sunday, we talked about the encounter with the witch. And then eventually she turns into a snake and they chop her to pieces too and all of happily ever after. It's a wonderful story. It is at this hour that I am in my right mind. It is the rest of the day that I am enchanted. 23 hours a day, he's under this false enchantment of the silver chair of the evil witch. But for one hour each day, he is in his right mind. I wonder how often it is that we are in our right mind. 24 hours in a day. How many of those hours are we in our right mind? Versus how many of those hours of the day are we enchanted by the stories of the world, the materialism, the consumerism, secularism, individual, all the isms of the world that we live in? How often it is that we are enamored by the trinkets and the baubles of this life versus being in our right mind? Our right mind is that moment of clarity where we know that the greatest thing is, is to pursue faith and hope and peace and love and joy and that's found in Christ and Christ is the way, the truth and the life and that if we lay down our lives we, we, we find life and if we hold on to our life too tightly we'll actually lose life. There's these moments of clarity where we recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. How often though is that we live in that space versus the enchantment of the worlds that we live in? Uh, I like to start each year with a sermon that just really gets you back into things for the year. I don't know what we'll do next year but... Uh, I think last year or the year before was the, the agnosticism of our ordinary consciousness, uh, which was a fancy way of saying most of the time we live and act kind of like we don't know if God's true or real or could show up or what's going on. But we have these moments of clarity when we remember that we're a Christian and we act Christ-like. But often there's this Gnosticism, uh, this, uh, not Gnosticism, uh, the, the agnosticism of our ordinary consciousness. How often it is that we are enchanted versus seeing and thinking with clarity what are we waiting for and hoping for and longing for in life some things or someone mistletoe kisses and holiday or the messiah and holiness 
Now, of course, we know what the correct answer is, the right answer is. We, we know what we should be longing for in life. If only being a Christian was about getting the right answers in the Bible quiz, we, we'd all be outstanding Christians, you know. Uh, my eschatology is not Pearly Gates and Peter and all of this. But imagine standing at the Pearly Gates next to Peter and he's like, oh, welcome. We've got 25 questions. They're all multi-choice. Then we've got four short answer questions and an essay. We wish you all the best on this. And if you can get this right, we'll, we'll allow you in. Kind of that, that's not at all what I believe. But imagine that. Imagine if that was what it was. Well, probably all of us. We've done enough church to, well, as long as they're multi-choice, I'm pretty sure I can weed out two of them straight away and I'll probably get the right one and the others. I'm not so good on short answers, but I could write a compelling essay kind of thing. Yeah, I, the only thing is that Christian living isn't about getting the right answers in the Bible quiz. It's about Bible living, not Bible answers. Uh, which is why some people don't have any of the answers, but have learned to live the Christ-like life that we're called to live. And that messes with people that like to have all the right answers. But I've got a couple of friends that are atheists, pure atheists, but they're just so Christ-like in everything that they do. It's very interesting to navigate that with them. They don't believe a word of it, and yet everything about how they live is, you know, it's like, we're on a journey. We, we, we talk, we converse, we're trying to figure some things out. It's about, not a Bible quiz, though. It's about Bible living. Praxis, not theory. But I think if we're honest, I think if I'm honest, let's, let's turn it on me rather than you because that makes it more comfortable for everybody. We can do a critique of me rather than you. Just, you're sitting pretty. You're awesome. Um, how often is it that we're pursuing love and joy and peace in, in, in our pursuit of Christ as the center of all of that versus pursuing love and joy and peace and hope and all this via a carefully cultivated and constructed life? I know that I'm often pursuing it by a carefully cultivated and constructed life. A perfect Christmas with the tree just right. That'll be, that'll be how we'll find joy. Uh, and uh, and uh, um, Kate Standard's at my house. She goes, your tree is amazing. I said, oh, thank you, Kate. She said, who puts the decorations on the tree? I said, I do. And then she said, who else puts the decorations on the tree? I said, no one else. No one else is allowed to. That's what I do. She said, you don't let your kids decorate the tree. No, they, they, they don't do it right. You don't let your kids decorate the tree. I said, well, actually, I do. Sometimes I do let them do that, actually. And then when they're asleep at night, I go and change it all around and make sure it's all proper and all of this. She says, you're horrible. <laughs> it's like, no, we have a nice Christmas tree. Uh, my brother sends me this photo, looking very Christmassy at our house. And I was like, no, it's not. That looks like kindergarten. They've got like a two-year-old and a four-year-old. They've got like... Um, you know, coloured popcorn strung together on it. balloons, like blow up a balloon and stick it to a tree. That's not a proper Christmas. No, that looks like it. But it's so often that we're trying to find peace and hope and joy and love by cultivating and putting together our Christmas tree, like our friendship groups, our, our free time, our, the amount of time we do this and that. It's actually we're finding or looking for joy and hope and peace and love, not by our pursuit of Christ and the character of Christ and the guiding and the leading of the Spirit and all things we do. It's by our carefully curated and crafted life that is just how we like it to be and don't let anything else interfere with it. I know I'm guilty of that. Climate-controlled life. Climate-controlled life. We like a climate-controlled life. With a lazy boy to sink into in the end of each day. And there's nothing wrong with a lazy boy or any of those other things. They are a part of the thing that is the gift and wonder of life. But not the source of joy and hope and peace and love. Advent invites us to ask those questions. A pandemic invites us to ask those kinds of questions. 
Because I know what the right answer is, but I know my heart is so easily enamored by other things as being the thing that will bring that which I'm looking for. It all morphs into a silver chair, a shadow of the real thing, a counterfeit, a fake, but we don't realize it. We don't realize it until the moment where our climate-controlled life is no longer climate-controlled because something breaks down, because that's the nature of what happens in life. Something breaks down, and our peace and our love and our joy and our hope goes flying out the window because our climate-controlled life broke, and we can't immediately fix it. And suddenly we realize, oh, maybe I'm looking for these things in the wrong place. And obviously, and we've reflected on this for two years now, but a pandemic, for some of us, is the first time Everything suddenly was not in our control. For some people, that's very disorientating. Certainly one of the first times for a current humanity where for all of us, it spun out at the same time. Those that lived in Christchurch and went through earthquakes or have other stories. As individuals, we go through different things. Relationships fall apart or whatever it might be. But as a collective Our climate-controlled collective life has spun out of control and the question becomes, oh man, where was I really looking for joy and hope and peace and love and happiness and these kinds of things? We discover we're living under moonlight rather than sunlight. Isaiah 9 verse 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, war will be no Uh, Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. (coughs) Advent and Christmas. There's a light that has shone in the darkness. Advent, the season that circles around year after year, is an invitation to be in our right mind. To ask ourselves, are we in our right mind? What are the trinkets and the baubles, the thingamajiggies and the whatchamacallits that have captured me? Advent's an invitation to, am I in my right mind? What am I really pursuing in life? What is that that I should be pursuing? What are, where should my hopes and my longings truly be directed? And, uh, you know, we have this... I, I, I love Christmas because one of the things with Christmas, I think that mostly we... I think mostly even secular society knows that the promises of the marketing and the advertising at Christmas will not deliver. I, I don't think it's... Um, I think it's a game we all play, but I don't know that anyone's really to see. I think we all know that, you know, if you do get the, that set of golf clubs that you're hoping for, I think we all know that come Boxing Day, we'll discover that we're the same person we were on Christmas Day and they haven't fulfilled all of our hopes and lot. I think we all know that. Um, and yet we, you know, we, and we kind of run with it. But, you know, there's the consumerism, the marketing, the advertising that, you know, peace and joy and love will be overflowing when we get the new diamond. I do love those at Christmas. Buy your loved one a $25,000 diamond. Oh, yeah, I should. I should. That's what I should do this year. 
It's like, you know, you know that, that'll be the thing. All the new golf clubs, all the 85-inch TV, because you've only got a 55-inch TV. And can you, I mean, can you really see it if it's 55 inches? I mean, that's, can you really, I mean, 32 You were a lot younger when you had 32 inches and you could see it perfectly. Or 29 back in the old day when we had two channels or whatever it might be. Or 21. You definitely need 85 and 8K, not 4K. We know clarity, kind of. And then we go, we know that those are false promises. We know that if we get that, that'll go on the wall and that's fantastic. And we'll be exactly the same person. No better for it, even though. I think, though, we get caught up in it still, though, and we do get sneered every now and then. It's a counterfeit, it's a hack, it's a scheme. Um, but one of the ways to remember that is just always remember the 12 days of Christmas. 12 days of Christmas. And just look at how basically no one can get that right. And that's just a reminder that nobody really knows what's happening. The 12 days of Christmas. The, in one store, it's the 1st of December to the 12th. It's like, that's not, those are not the 12 days of Christmas. You've, you've stuffed it up. Others are like, they choose to have sales for 12 days and just pick any 12 days of December as their 12 days of Christmas. Uh, others decide that it's the 12 days that take us up to the 25th. It's like, no, 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 none of them are the 12 days of Christmas. We're still in Advent. We're in Advent. Christmas starts on the 25th and goes through. The 12 days go to the 6th. Anyway, that's just for free this morning. But, you know, we have all these things happening, and it reminds us. We see through it. We know this isn't the answer. Moment of clarity. Moment of insight. Season of proper enchantment. The enchantment of the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Peace, Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, who offers us this great moment of clarity. I think Christmas is an invitation, Advent's an invitation to clarity. We're willing to ask ourselves those kinds of questions. We're invited to look forward to the coming of Christ with Simeon and Anna who looked forward 2,000 years ago. In our own lives and families and situations, that Christ would come into the midst of what is happening now. That Christ would come again and restore and heal and mend and put this whole thing back together. I don't know how much of our days are spent enchanted by the world we live in and how many moments of clarity we have. Well, I think, I think at least Advent has the potential to be a, a whole season of clarity. It's the invitation to, to reconsider, to check. And out of that clarity to, of course, adjust things in our lives and to set our focus on Christ. All else is but a silvered share, a shadow, a counterfeit, a false promise. I wish I was at home, said Jill. Eustace nodded, saying nothing. I have come, said a deep voice behind them. They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright and real and strong that everything else began at once to look pale pale and shadowy compared to him. So bright and real and strong that everything else began at once to look pale and shadowy compared with him. We've spent four weeks in Advent, four weeks asking ourselves questions along the lines of what are we hoping for, longing for, looking for in life? If we're honest, if I'm honest, so often I'm looking for love and joy and peace and hope, but I'm looking for it amongst the watchamacallits and the thingamabobs of life. Even though at Christmas, I know that you just watch one ad, you know, that's not true. I know it's a counterfeit, but we're enamored by it. But we journey through Advent, we prepare our hearts, we count down slowly, we spend this time. We discover when we see Christ so bright and real and strong that everything else begins at once to look pale and shadowy 
compared with it. Our verse throughout Advent, this is Rembrandt's painting of um, Simeon in the temple with Anna and when Jesus was dedicated as a Bible. As a baby, dedicated as a Bible. is the word of God. Our verse throughout Advent has been, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is the words of Simeon. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I don't know when it was that Simeon started to confess or to declare or to believe or to have this deep faith. I don't know when it was that he became confident that he would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I don't know if that was something, he, a revelation he came to as a devout Jew at the age of 30. At the age of 27, at 54. I don't know when it was that Simeon arrived at this place of being confident that he would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Rembrandt captures him as an elderly Person as the story tells, as the story tells, Simeon was an old man in the in the temple when he beheld Jesus. Simeon obviously captures him, you know, looks like he's 114. So I don't know when it was that Simeon came to this moment of confidence that he would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, but Rembrandt helps us to see that. Well, whenever it was that Simeon saw that, there was a few seasons before he did actually come to see that. So Advent invites us to, with Simeon, with Anna, to, to reorientate our hopes and our longings on Christ. To be confident that we'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. But the picture of Simeon is not of, I decided that when I was 27, and then by my 28th birthday I'd seen the goodness of the God in the land of the living. Thank goodness I only had to wait 12 months. That was, by all accounts, Simeon maybe waited his whole life to see that. So it invites us into that same sense of faith and trust and hope and longing. And we get to celebrate the story knowing that Christmas is the 25th. And then we have 12 days of Christmas. And then we go into ordinary time. And then we have the rest of the Christian calendar. Can't we? So we, we get to speed it all up in our journey as a church. In our journey as individuals, we don't necessarily get to speed it up or put it on the fast track. Sometimes we, we're waiting for a long time. And yet, rather than being enamored by the thingamabobs and the whatchamacallits and a climate-controlled life, we set our eyes on Jesus. And we remain confident that Jesus can be known, can be experienced, and will be seen in the land of 